because the truth is is that you know we we have a sixth sense that where we pick out the people that we want to date i always tell people my clients too if the same situation keeps happening over and over in your life or you think you keep like dating the same person you are the common denominator in all of these relationships it's not everyone else you are seeking these people out you are bringing them into your life you are choosing to go on dates with them like this is not just happening to you you are the common denominator Mm -hmm. it is not everybody else that's why i went to therapy i had two back-to-back of like people with girlfriends and i didn't know dude i had like five (laughs) (laughs) and then it's what's up everybody welcome back to shooters gotta shoot i am your co-host erica spera and i'm molly demillier and we have a hot guest for you today but first you definitely want to join our Patreon. Hell yeah, you We've do. We've had a lot of hot, juicy stuff on the Patreon. Uh, yeah. We had Eggs Benedict on, my brother on. We're going to have a breakup episode. <laughs> we have the breakup <laughs> episode come out, uh, which more details if you'd like. And uh, also, we're halfway to our Patreon goal of doing an episode every week. Yeah. So right now, it's just two a month, but we hit that goal. It's about to be one every week. week. So patreon.com slash shooters got to shoot. What else, Molly? Share this to your Instagram. I want you to stop what you're doing right now. Put on your Instagram story. Tag us. And, uh... I don't know. Maybe we'll uh, tag you back. (laughs) (laughs) It's not literally a game of tag. (laughs) I like that game. (laughs) Do you know how many times I've been tempted to just like go back and forth on my own Instagram? Yeah, you could go back and forth forever. Yeah, just tagception. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, damn. And uh, write a review. Leave a review. We're almost at our goal and we're giving away 300 bucks. Three different Amazon gift cards. Worth $100. We know you're on Prime. You're shopping there. And uh, also, I got a show at the stand Saturday, March 14th, 7 o'clock. Promo code SPIRA for tickets. Yeah, it's going to be the kitty's titties. Oh, hell yeah. And without further ado, we're going to bring in our very special guest for today. So you might know him from his YouTube channel, Shit They Won't Tell You, Insect Ed. From the Lunchbox Lessons podcast. An LGBTQ column called Thomas Talks About. It's therapist and doctoral candidate, Thomas Whitfield. Woohoo! Thomas Whitfield! Hi, yo! Hello! Welcome to the game! <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. And if you want to find Thomas, it's at Thomas Whitfield84. Correct. It's be in the description. Definitely get involved. He's doing a lot of good stuff. So up top, I would love to clarify. Molly and I have talked about going to therapy, but we did not do CBT therapy. Okay. That you mm-hmm. have specialized in. So can you explain for the listeners the difference between CBT therapy and traditional therapy? Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting that you say traditional therapy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because there really isn't a, a traditional therapy, but the vast majority of people that go to a therapist have no idea what type of therapy they are getting at, at all. Yes. They have no idea if they're getting cognitive behavioral therapy, if they're getting acceptance and commitment therapy, if they're getting gestalt therapy, if it's interpersonal, if it's uh, Freudian psychoanalysis. Like people do not know. And a lot of times their therapists don't tell them. Well, I was going to say, is it good that we don't know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it depends on what it is that you want. So there is not a certain type of therapy that isn't necessarily better than another type right. of therapy. Uh, I mean, I would argue I'm not a psychoanalysis. Uh, <laughs> so which is like Freudian where someone lays on a couch and the person sits behind them mm-hmm. and doesn't face them and take notes and doesn't say anything. I yeah. have not been trained in that. I have no desire to be trained in that. That's something that people do where they go to therapy like three or four times a week for an hour at a time for years and just kind of vent 
and talk and reflect on their own thoughts. Whoa. Uh, I do not do that. I don't know how much efficacy that actually has. So I don't know how effective it actually is in the treatment of certain things. A lot of people would swear that it's very efficacious. Hmm. Um, I was going to say, is that almost designed that then that therapist is like, these are where your issues lie and you should do now these types of therapy? Uh, no, that is just Freudian psychotherapy where it's just listening to people's thoughts and you give them no feedback. And they're supposed to just figure it out on their own by word vomiting? Yeah, pretty much. So that Mm. is the exact opposite of what cognitive behavioral therapy is. So cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, is what I have the most training in. And that is where someone is coming in with a specific thing that they want to work on. Do they want to work on their anxiety, their depression, their relationship? Um, Are they struggling with work? Are they having interpersonal problems with friends? So you you set a goal for therapy. This is what we want to work on. This is, and then you set up like how you are going to attack that problem. So cognitive behavioral therapy pivots that in every emotion that we have, we have physical sensations, we have thoughts, and then we have a behavior to deal with that emotion. So for example, when I get anxiety in my body, I feel it in my stomach. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of get sick to my stomach. Um, My head kind of spins a little bit, gets a little sort of fuzzy. And that's one of the ways that I know that I have anxiety. I also notice that when I have anxiety, I have a lot of thoughts that might relate back to, I need to control this thing, or I need to control that thing, or this other thing isn't doing what I want it to, and this other thing is going to happen in the future. When you have thoughts like that, those physical sensations increase. And then we all engage in a behavior to get rid of that anxiety. So I love to tie this to things like relationships. You are waiting for someone to text you back. You have anxiety because they have not texted (laughs) you back. So your stomach hurts. You're wondering what's going on. Am I never seeing this person again? Do they not like me anymore? Those thoughts continue to make you feel like shit. And then your behavior (laughs) is maybe I'm going to have a drink to make this anxiety go away. Mm -hmm. Or I'm going to text someone else to get attention from them. Or I am going to, yeah. (laughs) Or I am going to send this person another text message because maybe they didn't get that other that other one or those other four that all say red (laughs) Um, so these are like behavioral responses that we have to that anxiety in that particular situation Mm -hmm. so i work with people to find out what their patterns are and then change their patterns so that they respond differently to different situations Oh man, have you ever read the, I, I feel like I just said a lot. No, no, no. Does have you ever read sense? the book The Power of Habit? It's actually my favorite book. Oh, I've heard and it talks things. about like how it, it actually talks about how AA is so effective because it's just replacing like when you have the signal for basically wanting to drink, it replaces it with a different habit or doing something else than like going to drinking. But it's all about the habit cycle, mm-hmm. which is a, a little bit what you touched on. Yeah, that and that's all about paired stimuli, which goes back to Pavlov and the dog. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, d- does that sound familiar to you at all? Pavlov oh, yeah. and the yeah, dog? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. I, I don't I mean, know. That's me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you are being serious or joking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't literally have a bell and then I want steak, but it's that thing of like right. in a restaurant where like if a raider comes by with like a tray of food, I just, I stop listening. I'm yeah. like, is this, oh, it's not us? Okay. That's 100% I mean, true. <laughs> so like for the people that are listening to this, that have no idea what we say when we say Pavlov. It's like, it's attaching one stimuli to a different behavior. So there was a, a, a scientist who noticed that when he gave his dog food, 
uh, that the dog would start to drool right before I got the food. Um, so he started to pair a bell. So he would ring a bell and then bring the food out, and the dog would associate the bell with the food. So then he noticed if he could just ring the bell without giving the dog food, the dog's mouth would start to salivate. So therefore, he paired the bell with the food, took the food away, and the bell still elicited the response of the dog salivating. And that's what you're talking about by replacing one behavior with the next. So you're pairing the association of like, I feel like I want to drink, so I'm going to go to this meeting. Right. Yep. Okay. Or then I think it's like often like calling a sponsor, or that's often why people that attend AA, a lot of the programs are through like a religious organization and they become more religious. Mm -hmm. And it's something that after reading that book, it's like, I mean, I would never shit on someone for becoming more religious, but you hear people kind of do that. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if that's kind of what they fix their AA trigger with, like, let them have it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let them let just go say a prayer or whatever they're doing. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, to go back to, you know, kind of your original question about CBT and what is it? So that's kind of the basic setup of it. But CBT is actually for people that are like pretty high functioning that like because it requires homework you go to therapy once every week or every two weeks for 45 minutes to an hour Mm -hmm. so there are like we give our patients a lot of worksheets that they go home and do this is what i want yeah Yeah. this is what i needed so like yeah so we talked about that we both went to it basically felt like i was just keeping a diary with a person once a week and they don't really say much Mm -hmm. and i kept being like i don't really get what this is doing for me and but then i had friends that were like oh you should do cbt and i'm like what's that and they were like oh they'll actually give you stuff to do yeah and i was like yeah that feels more worth it it'd be like if you it kind of be like if you paid to go to like school and they never gave you homework you're like i don't know i just show up every day and (laughs) yeah we all listen and then uh, we just go home and sounds like i'm smart now (laughs) (laughs) i mean it feels very much like a class yeah like it's very active i do a lot of talking they do a lot of talking you know hopefully uh but it is like okay these are the tools i'm going to give you and this is what i want you to i want you to practice using these tools throughout the week so like if someone comes in with anxiety i will have them fill out these sheets where they fill in the bubbles of like what are their physical sensations their thoughts and the behavior when they have anxiety through that week so in the moment when they're feeling anxiety this is what's going on then they bring it in and we look for patterns between these different situations and a lot of times people are having the same types of thoughts in different situations and with anxiety Mm -hmm. it's almost always i need to be in control of something if i'm not in control of this something terrible is going to happen and if that terrible thing happens i won't be able to handle it interesting so i feel like you gave a general thing but i'm kind of curious yeah of I mean, I really liked up top when you were like, CBT, it's like you have a goal. You, ha- you need to have kind yes. of a clear goal. And so it might be something more simple or it might be something more complicated of like, say it's like repairing the relationship with your mother or something like that. It's like, okay, well, that's kind of like a long-term goal. And it's like, what are the short-term goals to kind of get there? Right. But I like that because it's, I feel like with sports, it's always what it is. It's kind of like, where, okay, what's the big goals? Like you want to win. It's like, okay, well, how do you get to winning? And it's like, you have to do drills, yeah. practice, run plays, like all these things. So just Molly and I, with our personal background of like so much sports, it's why like being in a therapy situation that kind of feels like, what's the direction? I don't know if I'm really getting better. I don't like, yeah. sometimes you might just feel a little better, like having someone to talk to is most people do but i kind of hit the point i was like yeah i could just like be actively like catching up with friends and yeah just you know well i mm-hmm. think too for uh, like us specifically and like a lot of people we're not like emotional people so just sitting there like <laughs> talking about our problems was like this is just a lot more sad and i, I leave here upset without like yeah i just like i'm someone i like to make a game plan and i like to make things happen so 
that like CBT just sounds like it would be so much more effective for people like that. Yeah. And I think so too. And I, you know, I have a good time in therapy with my patients. I, I'm like, <laughs> I, a good time. Yeah, I do like we, no, good. we laugh a lot. I'm like, I'm very much myself in therapy. So like, yeah. I'm kind of sarcastic and like joke with them, but like, but we get a lot done okay. too, but like we have that rapport and I think that my patients, for the most part, look forward to coming to therapy because they have a good time. And sometimes the stuff that we cover mm. is really difficult. Right. But we always wrap it up in a way that the person feels good after. I'm not going to say every time because people have definitely left like therapy sessions with me not feeling great. I always try to <laughs> at least, you know, I always try to, if therapy gets too deep in a session, part of your job as a therapist is to help them come back up to right. where they were when they walked in the door. Because okay. yeah. as much as you want to get in there deep you know you have to take time at the end of that to bring them out of it so that you're not just leaving them there well i was gonna say I, have you ever had the thing it's almost like they're like mid deep you know cry whatever it is and, and all of a sudden you're like we're out of time <laughs> <laughs> no uh no <laughs> i thought that there was a few ways in therapy i'd like be crying and it's like oh, i hate to do this but uh time's up so and then it's weirdly like do you have that check, by the way? Or, yeah, I got it right here. <laughs> just package up those thoughts yeah. and bring yeah, it back yeah. next week. Well, yeah, and just that we'll pick up where we left off next week. I'm like, I don't want to cry next week. I wanted to be done crying this week. <laughs> and like with CBT, that doesn't happen so much because in the beginning we set an agenda. So every session when oh, they, when they come love in, agenda. yeah, God. yeah. Put when in the Google Doc and I am there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like the person comes in, sits down, and I'm like, okay, last week we covered X, Y, Z. This week I was thinking that we could focus on A, B, C. Are what other things do you want to make sure that we cover today that we should add to the agenda? And then we'll look at it and say, okay, if we can't get to all of this this week what do you think we could we could put off until next week? Mm, and part of the okay. point of that is like, I don't know, how many times have either of you gone into therapy and had an idea of something that you want to talk about, but then you just kind of put off talking about it or bring it up. Yeah. And then five minutes before you leave, you do what's called what we in the therapy world on the other side called the doorknob comment, where someone is going to walk out the door. They touch the handle to open it. And they're like, oh, by the way, so-and-so died. I'll see you <laughs> next week. Like I, I literally had a patient uh, not oh my too long ago go to leave the room and then turn around and say, oh, by the way, I think my cancer is back. Maybe we should talk about that next week. <laughs> Damn. And I was like, uh, uh, Como? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I think it, okay. Yeah. I think that it would be very important if we talked about that next yeah. week. And then, wow. you know, when she came back, I'd asked her, so you really waited until you were leaving to bring that up. And I'm wondering why, right. you know, what, what about it was made you want to mm. wait until the end of the session to bring it up? Was she just not ready to confront it? Or I think so. Okay. Yeah. Not really ready to talk about it. Wanted to say it when she knew that she could walk away, mm, but yeah. not have to <laughs> actually address it, which I, you know, is I get too. things are scary, Like cancer is mm -hmm. fucking scary. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. like part of me is like, you got to give a little credit that it was like, she knew she had to bring it up at some point. Yeah. It did eventually get, I guess the guts <laughs> to say it, but from the therapist standpoint, you're, you, I don't know if you were thinking this, but, I would almost be like, oh, wait, are you not fully comfortable with me? 
like sharing and stuff like that. Oh, I have learned to not take any of it personal. Well, that's good. Yeah. Which <laughs> is, I wasn't trying to put that thought in your head. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't at all. I I've think been a lot to of zero people years would. of uh, therapy school, so <laughs> that's just coming from a, I guess, regular insecure person. <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, I'm just like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> Do you also have trust I'm issues? Like, <laughs> I'm the therapist, like, man, I thought we were friends. <laughs> <laughs> we have so much fun here. <laughs> that is, you know, one of the fun parts of CBT is getting to ask them, though, because of the structure of it. Like, you didn't bring this up. What do you think stopped you from bringing it up? True. And just kind of, like, face it head on and direct. Because if I do feel that, I will bring that into the room mm. and be like, mm-hmm. oh, I noticed that you didn't say this or didn't say that. Is there a reason? Or or what were you thinking? What stopped you? Like, I will check in with how we're doing in therapy with the patient instead of just assuming that everything's great. Um, Do you think that there's certain types of, like, personalities or, like, issues, traumas that are better fit for CBT or, like, not as much? Or do you think it's really something that pretty much anything can, can work with? Um, so there are certain things that I think that it is not great for, and there are kind of like offshoots of CBT. So I do work with a lot of women that have been sexually and physically abused, Mm -hmm. raped as children, raped as adults. And, uh, I do cognitive processing therapy or, um, or, um, prolonged exposure therapy with those patients, which are very similar to cognitive behavioral therapy in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes to trauma, those are sort of the two two of the best evidence-based treatments. So I would go to those for someone that specifically has a situation that they are dealing with PTSD from. Mm, that's good to know. Post-traumatic yeah. stress disorder. Um, well, just in relation to this podcast, what type of therapy would you maybe recommend for someone that recently contracted like an STI and they are kind of just having trouble coping with i guess i don't know all the aspects that come from it just personally accepting it or going back out in the dating world um types of things because there's so many different levels but it's well just i guess that's me personally i never was like looked at it as like a trauma it just was like oh you have this obstacle to now navigate with people and you need to become just comfortable with because when you're uncomfortable telling people or like about to cry or whatever it's like they sense that on you like if you still have Mm -hmm. this fear then now they're afraid whereas like after a couple of years when I was more comfortable about it, I was more being accepted for it because the person's like, oh, okay, this seems to be not a big deal. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, I think that CBT could be really great for, you know, someone dealing with an STI. I don't think that anything like that would ever really meet the criteria for PTSD. Yeah. Uh, unless yeah. maybe that person acquired the STI via like rape or assault. But even then you would be dealing with mm-hmm. the rape and assault probably, you know, they're probably more upset about that than yeah. they would be the acquired. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, <laughs> the acquired STI. Uh, but yeah, because what you would actually be you know because i myself have an sti like i i know what that can be like and a lot of the times it's these thoughts that are ruminating in your head about what is this person going to think how am i going to tell this person am i never going to be happy will i not be in a relationship again what if they don't accept me yeah those are all you know very similar thoughts that tie into anxiety and cbt is great for anxiety um, just from personal experience, I've had many friends that they de- they have severe social anxiety or just personal anxiety, and I never like really had that. That then getting herpes, I suddenly was like, oh, I'm experiencing anxiety in a way that I never had before, mm-hmm. of like the feeling that like sickness in your stomach and like 
Like I was talking because Molly <laughs> has anxiety. And I remember the one day being like, "Man, this is brutal." I was like, I, remember, <laughs> I was like, I can't like sleep. I'm like, I can't. I was like, "Is this what your life is like?" And she's like, "Yeah, Erica." <laughs> well, yeah. You think I run like ten miles a day? Oh my God. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> anxiety is awful. It's so bad. I've I've had really bad anxiety in the past. I've I've gotten over it for the most part now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've definitely had a lot of anxiety. I've I've trained myself that when I start to ruminate on things or start to have repetitive thoughts about things, I catch it really quickly. Mm-hmm. And then I change those thoughts and focus on something else, which has taken a lot of training. It's a muscle that you yeah. use. If you want to stop having anxiety, you know, it's the same as if you want to run a marathon. You don't go outside and just run a marathon. You run down the block. Then mm-hmm. you run a mile. Then you run two miles. And then you give up because you hate running. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> <laughs> that is me 1000%. <laughs> uh, but it's it's the same idea with your mental health. Like a mm. lot of people go to therapy and think that their therapist is going to say like one or two things to them that is just going to change their life. And that if the therapist doesn't do that, they're not a good therapist. <laughs> but that's I not mean, yeah. Yeah, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Like, mm-hmm. And I've told that to patients. Like, I'm in this with you. I'm helping you figure these things out. I have some tools that we can help you with. But, like, I'm not – I don't have a magic wand. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, I guess that's uh, the similarity between anxiety and herpes. It's like, well, you just – you got it forever. So <laughs> <laughs> you just have to learn how to deal with it and <laughs> how to communicate it. So what's interesting about that is that, like I'd mentioned acceptance and commitment therapy before, or ACT, which is different than CBT, because CBT works on like changing your thoughts and your behaviors, Mm -hmm. and ACT is about accepting that Mm -hmm. these things are going on. Mm -hmm. So like for people that have tried a lot of therapies that maybe um, their anxiety hasn't decreased or their depression hasn't decreased or they're not able to kind of learn how to manage those ruminative thoughts. There's also acceptance and commitment therapy, which is kind of accepting that it's going on and learning how to manage those things that are going on. And the byproduct of that is a lot of those symptoms sort of go away, like the ruminating, but it's not so focused on changing the thoughts. It's just learning how to allow the thoughts to come and go as opposed to getting hooked on the thoughts and dragged down the road with them. Mm. Is that like, I guess, negative self-talk in a way? Is that like a way to somewhat summarize? So I have, I have, yeah. I mean, yes and no. I would call it unhelpful self-talk. Mm, so okay. I kind of don't think of things in terms of positive or negative. Uh, the same thing with emotions. So people often think like happiness is a positive emotion and sadness is a negative emotion. Mm. And really like one might be a pleasant way to feel and one an unpleasant way to feel. But there mm. are times where like it is very helpful to be sad. Sometimes we need to be sad. And there are times where it's unhelpful to be happy. Mm. If you are at a funeral and you are (laughs) happy, that is an unhelpful emotion to be experiencing. (laughs) I'm the person who laughs at a funeral. (laughs) (laughs) So I, so, you know, that's, that's part of it too, is understanding that emotions are just sensations in the body Mm. and like sensations can be pleasant and unpleasant, but not necessarily negative or positive the same thing with anger like if martin luther king hadn't been angry he wouldn't have gotten the shit done that he got done <laughs> yeah true. you know like anger can be was very up. helpful <laughs> he channeled it pretty well right like if his anger would have had him just go out on the street and shoot people then his anger would have been unhelpful <laughs> probably wouldn't get a day off yeah well, i was gonna say i feel like a hard emotion that people very much see as negative or try to like ignore that they even have is jealousy 
Yeah. And personally, just doing comedy, that's it's like that's gonna be there, and it's more. I've learned just through years. It's like hey, you're gonna have initial jealousy sometimes with mm-hmm. hearing news, even from yeah. someone that is a friend of yours. You're a little bit like, oh damn, you know, it, it like why wasn't good, it me? Though. But it's something of just. It's kind of like um, I've learned the self-talk of like them getting that thing had nothing to do with like you not getting it. Yeah. Like it was completely mm-hmm. separate from your life. Yeah. But it, it can, I think it can be good in like that it can make you like bust your ass harder. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I get jealous. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think we're really similar. We're super competitive. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, if someone gets something that I'm like, I'm not going to sit there and be like, why not me? I'm going to be like, what do I need to do to be better than that mm. yeah absolutely it's how you manage that emotion so does jealousy make you shut down and get hammered and then not go out and do comedy for two right. weeks yeah. or does jealousy lead you to go home and you know go back over your notebook or listen to past things and and make adjustments to it and see if you can make some changes so that your stuff is better mm-hmm. like it's mm. the same emotion it's just a, how you deal with it is helpful or unhelpful mm-hmm. um i was gonna say with uh all the work you've done so far um i know that you've done a handful of work of working with people that had stis in therapy mm-hmm. and i guess i don't know are there any kind of ways or kind of go-to things you feel like someone that maybe has an sti listening to this like a little piece of advice of uh things you've found helpful for those types of patients i think that with those types of patients part of it is exposing yourself to uh more stis no it's <laughs> 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 just get them all <laughs> uh i think that it yeah, is baby collect yeah. them all <laughs> i think that part of it is uh just yeah like pokemon cards is that what you said catch them oh my god that would be so funny like a pokemon game but with stis and you're like going around town trying to like catch stis um well, i almost feel that way with like people that have done like every drug ever and they're like, no, no, no. When you do a little list, you want to then send. And it's like they're just experts. Yeah. So it's like, well, you'd probably become an expert if you eventually got all of them. You know. They call them freelance like, pharmacists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway. So I think that part of it is first accepting that you have it, accepting that you know it's not going to go away, no matter how much you want it to go away. Um, and I think exposing yourself to telling different people. And like some people are going to respond well, some people are not going to respond well. And unfortunately, like you can't determine how people are going to respond. And I I think more often (laughs) uh, people anticipate the response to be worse than it actually is. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think that's what a lot of things in life, essentially, when you are asking for anything or putting yourself out there, it's like you have to just repeat to yourself, like the worst thing they can say is no, Mm -hmm. because it's. I mean, I deal with that with my job of like, mm-hmm. you're basically trying to get gigs and people can be like, nope, not a fit yeah. or, you know, but it's kind of being like, before you ask for a promotion, whatever it is, it's like, you, a lot of times I tell myself right before I ask, it's like, yeah, the worst thing they can say is no. Mm-hmm. It's like, it might just be a no. That's, yeah. There's not much you and can do from that. And it might happen. And that's part of accepting it too. Yeah. Is like someone might have a bad response. Mm-hmm. You can't control their response. And like, yeah, it might suck. But if they do have a bad response, it, you can probably also handle that. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like uh, someone actually asked me recently of like with telling people I have herpes, they were like, have you had any bad responses? And I was like, really? No, like no one really freaked out. And I think it's very much, you know, freaked out or got angry. And I mean, I know that's probably not for everybody, but it was like, I realized like, oh, I'm kind of lucky of like, I hadn't had anything like horrible like that. That was kind of like scarring of like, 
especially I can't imagine like the first person you tell they like get angry with you. Yeah. Would be very hard to like ever kind of put yourself back out there again. Mm -hmm. But it's like, yeah, it kind of was like the same thing. I was just like, yeah, the worst thing is basically it's a no or I would feel sometimes they would find a different reason because they don't want to say that's the reason. But it's like, we both know that's what it is yeah. that's okay you know and i would say start telling people that are closest to you first people that mm, you trust that you anticipate are going to respond well like trusted friends that are maybe not going to judge you yeah. if you uh if you don't have a trusted friend you can reach out to me on instagram and tell me and i'll talk to you about it like <laughs> yeah you know what i, I mean you about because, it, i feel uh, like once yeah. Yeah, instagram dms uh, you could have. You, you had some survey question you posted. Yeah, that was I do a lot of surveys. Telling partners about STIs, and I responded something. Mm -hmm. I remember yeah, I love doing my surveys. Yeah, because people, great. I ask a lot of questions. People respond to them. Then I post anonymously, post their responses, and then I get a lot of messages from people being like, "Thank you for putting for like putting this out. It really helps me. Yeah. I like. I love that there's other people going through it. Some of the stuff that people tell me, I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I get a lot of stuff that yeah. is really. I'm like, mm, I'm not even gonna post that because. Because that is not appropriate for me to put on Instagram, even mm, though it might geez. be their own story. I'm like, that's a, a lot of detail or. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I was yeah. it's kind of like post secret. Yeah, it's it like is. Sexual post secret. I just I love yeah. that website. I check it like every week. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it would weirdly be like there usually would always be one in the bunch that made you be like, oh, like, I don't feel so alone. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, there's one thing that you said that I want to touch on of practice telling people closest to you mm -hmm. um erica and i were recently talking on the uh the the better you podcast i think has come out by now um we were saying basically like what we're talking about here is like feelings of shame and coping with what we usually call baggage and it's if you practice saying it and owning it you're just going to get better at it and more confident and more accepting of yourself because you can't really ask someone to accept you if you don't accept you yeah, I would agree with all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also, you mentioned earlier that you have your own experiences with STIs. Uh, my own experience with a STI. STI. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, oh, yeah. I'm not to make that plural. <laughs> Me too. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally just playing around. Um, Me too. I'm one and done. <laughs> <laughs> Same so far. <laughs> F fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I have HPV, which is not HIV, just want to be clear, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. human papillomavirus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, lovingly called warts, which people just think are beautiful. Well, I was going to uh, say up top, essentially that's the only HPV that a man can have and know he has it because there's actually a physical symptom, correct? Well, and uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, and mostly the same thing with women so like when getting a mm -hmm. pap smear they will often like check for hpv um because they're you know scraping you out which honestly <laughs> getting a pap smear oh. just like having a vagina seems like so much work <laughs> like it really Stop, does man. it is a lot more work <laughs> yeah. it is a lot more work like, for sure uh, just it just like uh, i know like unless i'm jacking off like i don't think about my penis <laughs> <laughs> like i don't i it's never good. have to i never have to think about it eh, yeah you know well i appreciate the sympathy yeah um <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so yeah with guys unless you are having an outbreak there is no way really there are no tests that i'm aware of where they are mm -hmm. actively like scraping away skin cells to test those skin cells and see if you have hpv right um so in my early early 20s few years ago uh i was <laughs> no i'm 35 so this was a while ago um i was showering and noticed a bump on the outside of my ass mm. of my mm -hmm. asshole and uh and I was like, what? What's that? Mm. Hmm. I'm, oh, you know, I'm in my early 20s, so I'm just going to ignore it. And, Ooh. you know. Just so it wasn't painful or anything, just. 
no it no pain whatsoever just was like showering and felt this bump and i was like i'm gonna keep an eye on it because mm-hmm. i don't know we have stuff that happens with our bodies all the time that we don't necessarily run to the doctor we just sort yeah. of like keep an eye on yeah yeah especially you know in a country where we don't have health insurance it's mm-hmm. like i need to be you know pretty close to dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh so i didn't do anything about it for a long time for What's a long time yeah. for like a few years okay I was just like, oh, there's just bump, this bump, but like, it's not changing. It's not going away. Okay. Like it's, Mm -hmm. there's nothing going on. Like maybe I just have a random like skin tag or like, I don't know. Did part of you also assume, I might almost do this of like, I assumed you had partners throughout having the bump, right? I did, but I don't think uh, no one ever said anything to me about it. Right. That's what I I wasn't like, I was like, Hey, something looks like it's going on as a gay man. I was not bottoming. Mm, frequently okay. like okay. you know so it wasn't like people weren't like staring at my asshole yeah okay um i've never been someone that like takes photos of my asshole and posts them <laughs> on the internet like which i will randomly get shots like that in my instagram and i'm like i do not need to see your asshole <laughs> like why are you sending me photos of your i mean asshole? they're shooting shots yeah. um, so I, we all shoot our shots differently yeah. and uh, some really get to it <laughs> can we turn this into a drinking game i want everybody to do a shot every time i say asshole um, <laughs> we're good so uh unless you're on your morning commute do it yeah. after work <laughs> <laughs> pause right now go have some fun later <laughs> <laughs> Live a little. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. So I was actually dating someone then in a, a couple years later, and he told me about it. Um, and he was like, "I think it's an STI," and I really it didn't cross my mind that it was yeah. an STI. I didn't know what it was, but it just okay. didn't cross my mind that it was. And then, of course, I started going back through my mind, and and I have all these ideas of like, you know, I think I know who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I had gone on a date with someone, uh, you know before i'd had the outbreak and i remember that we had gotten really drunk at dinner we went back to his place and then we went to hook up and i noticed that he had these like bumps on his testicles Mm. and i like didn't say anything because i was in my early 20s i was maybe like 22 Mm. and i like didn't know what it was i didn't know what to say Mm -hmm. like i had no idea how to deal with the subject so i just tried to like not touch them (laughs) 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 do you know what i mean like i i I didn't know Mm -hmm. we like in the united states there is no like federally funded or mandated sexual education they do not teach us in any way how to have any of these very important conversations or how to say stop or Mm -hmm. no or what the fuck is that or or you're trained um like oh if you wear a condom you're good yeah Yeah. whereas like herpes is transmitted not via like the exchange of fluids like every most other stds are. it's a skin mm-hmm. disease yeah so even with me i feel weird like w- when i tell someone i have herpes and then you're partly like they're probably like so we were in a condom it's all good i'm like technically but it really doesn't decrease yeah. the chance by yeah. anything and hpv is the same way mm-hmm. so like most people don't wear condoms on their balls like yeah. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've not i haven't seen that happen yeah um, or you can get I've it in never your anal it. area Men yeah more women um and i and we didn't have anal sex i don't know you know, but my mind just kind of goes to, okay, this is probably what it was. But also the thing, it's really difficult to say where you got any STI from mm-hmm. because they can lay dormant in your body for yeah. so long. Mm-hmm. You can have HPV for years and not have an outbreak or never have an outbreak. Yeah. There are That's a, a lot of people with herpes. Never yeah. Anything. 
there are a ton of strands of HPV and not all of them lead to warts. Mm -hmm. However, I hit the jackpot. (laughs) uh, So I went to a doctor and the first doctor I went to looked and he was like, there's nothing here. And I was like, um, I'm pretty sure there is. Yeah. And he was like, oh, okay. I see it. I I was like, okay. So then he sent me to a specialist. And so here's the, here's the cool thing about HPV. If you have a bump and you put off getting treatment for it, what it actually does is it's sort of, um, they start to, uh, kind of make a trail. So they lead to other ones. So if you have them on your ass, they actually build a trail into your asshole and up inside the anal cavity. So by the time I went to the doctor, I did not have, I had one bump on the outside, but I had a lot of bumps inside. Oh, damn. Wow. So if you get it treated in the beginning, they will just freeze it off. Right. Like you would any wart. So had (laughs) I gone when I just had a bump on the outside, like two sessions, I would have been done. That would have been it. Because I had put this off for so long, I ended up having to have surgery to have them removed. Really? Oh my God. So I had to, um, and I did have insurance at this time, thank God, because I think it would have cost me like $15,000. Oh, for sure. Oh my God. I mean, just getting like, I assumed you were put out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just that alone is always like, what, a couple grand? I mean, yeah. six grand, seven grand. It's, it's like, a lot. Oh, it's usually half the surgery cost. Yeah. So I um, had to go and have surgery, and I was knocked out, and they went in and cut all Ooh. of these warts out of inside me. Oh, my God. Damn. And the the healing process for that say, is amazing what? because yeah. you, they put you on a ton of, like, oxy or, like, <laughs> well, pain medication. Um, is you, it almost partly, this sounds gross, but being on those types of things also, like, does not make you poop? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. I was almost like, it, are, it, they, do they, are they indirectly like, we hope you don't poop for a few days because no, of this? I mean, so that painful. would be great. Yeah. So, however, yeah. So Oof. you you can't wipe your ass. They give oh. you what's called like a, a sitz bath, I believe. So it's basically this tube. It's basically like having a, uh, like a, a I want to say a douche, but not a douche. Like what are the yeah. things that like when you go to Europe, they have them on the, like. Bidet? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's basically oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a bidet that you, you have in your house. After. Yeah. And oh, um, because you can't wipe your ass because you have open wounds. And um, so you have to use that. It is so painful. You have all these like open wounds inside your ass yeah. that are trying to heal. You're also constipated. So like when you uh-huh. do shit, it, it like tears everything ooh. up. Oh, there were nights. So I spent 10 days in my apartment laying on my couch, like yeah. getting stoned and taking tons of liquid Advil, <laughs> Yeah, which I found out works way better than the pain medication they gave me ooh. because it kind of makes you feel a little high. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, Oxy yeah. sucks. And then just laying in a hot bathtub, like crying oh, because geez. it hurt so bad and there was oh nothing I could do. I and then I was like afraid to eat because if I eat was going to eat, then I was going to shit. Well, yeah. Um. So, it, you know. It's, I mean, that's just amazing of like everything you're saying. I'm like, how do you even keep it like sterile and clean? It sounds yeah. nearly impossible. It is. It's like you're going to be pooping at some point. Yeah. yeah. Something's going to be getting in contact over there. Yeah. And then it burns and you know what i mean so it was a terrible healing experience and i've only recently started talking about this um i did a i did a a live talk on stage and decided that this was like the thing that i was going to reveal Mm -hmm. um and then you know talking about it now 
And I think it's I think it's really important to talk about because had I gone and gotten tested earlier, like none of this would have had to have happened. And I didn't right. because I didn't know what it was and I was scared and right. you know, I was in my early twenties and figured everything would be fine. Um and had I gone, it would have been a much simpler 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 process yeah. mm-hmm. um and then after that i was i was fine and i go back you know i had to go back every few months to get checked out to see if any came back um and now i go twice a year just to get a checkup just to see um and hpv is the thing a lot of people talk about how it clears the system that's not really accurate so it can go back to being dormant but it doesn't it's not a bacteria that you get rid of if you have mm-hmm. hpv it is going to be with you forever and i get really frustrated right. when people are like oh no you have one outbreak once and then it goes away and like no that's <laughs> not the reality it's still in your body yeah that's like herpes that's me yeah I it is one there outbreak and that was brutal and very painful and that also kind of I mean, I don't know if this happened to you, but for me, it like very much instills the fear that you're like, I would never want to give this to somebody. Like I would never want another person to have to go through this. Yeah. And that partly just like feeds into the fear of even like telling people. Cause I once had somebody that like was willing and didn't care, but then I was like, he's too good of a guy. Like he can't get this thing. Like weirdly yeah. is like a thing you might be saying to yourself, but. And I have like, since that happened and honestly, I think that it has helped me in so many different ways. Like, I think that it's been really beneficial for myself because it has pushed me to be open with people, to Mm -hmm. be upfront with people before I have sex with them. Mm. Um, It, you know, it was something about myself that I had to accept that, that, you know, it was something I didn't want to accept. And once I did, I was like, oh, if I can accept that there's this thing about myself that I don't love, but like. I'm still me and I'm still fine with it. I was able to accept all of these other aspects of myself. I don't put things off. Like if I see something, I say something. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, it's made me a lot more active in just having conversations with people before sex um, well, I was and say, asking them uh, direct questions. I actually think that it, it, it's been really beneficial, mm-hmm. although, you know, shitty pun intended at the time. <laughs> uh, it, it's been you know, overall changed my life in some really positive way. So that was the the name of my talk was actually um, having, is it possible that having an uncurable STI can change your life for the better? Ooh, oh, true. I mean, I don't know what like type of person you see yourself as is like more relationship, more like committal. Um, but like weirdly herpes is also this like thing that almost makes you like kind of quote define the relationship a bit because mm-hmm. it's like, but in this indirect way that's not demanding it's like hey i have this thing and it kind of weeds out people that maybe aren't really there for you mm-hmm. like oh you're not willing to even like consider this about yeah me. absolutely and honestly if you so i i am in a long-term relationship i've been with my partner for six years um it'll be six years in march and uh you know it's very like that's very true if I'll, you know, if someone can't handle that I have HPV, then, you know, I have a, a whole storage unit of baggage that you are not going to be able to handle. <laughs> like. Well, I was going to say, after getting the HPV, uh, do you mind if I ask what age you were when you had the surgery? Uh, I was in my early 20s. I think I was like 24. Okay, so you okay. think you got it at 22. So basically it was two years and it already spread that much. Oh, yeah. And then you had the surgery. So, but then after when you would have future partners... I guess, how would you go about telling them? Uh, were there any, I guess, kind of tips or stuff you felt like, okay, that wasn't a good way to do it. This is a better way. Or So as a, oops, sorry. Uh, as a gay man, um, you know, a lot of identity can sometimes be tied to if you are a bottom or if you are a top. And when mm-hmm. I was in my 20s, I was more of a bottom. And now as I'm older, I've taken on more of the role of, of topping. Okay. And, 
you know, I have had very few partners that I have bottomed for since then. Mm. And I don't think it's because of that happening right. um, as much as I just kind of grew out of it. And I was like, oh, this is so much work. You have to like watch what you eat and prepare <laughs> and like, ugh. like bottoming is so, ugh. it's so much work. Like it's so much work. Like, like imagine if having vaginal sex, you had to like think about what you were eating that day. I mean, you already yeah, kind of like, do. Yeah. A little do you? Bit of like, you have to worry about kind of more so cleanliness. Like you, right. you said earlier, you're like, I don't think about my penis all yeah. the time. But it's toilet like if you... Toilet paper quality. Yeah, if you might see okay. someone. Okay. Or, yeah, oh, I've heard about yeah. the pieces of toilet paper. Um, yeah, or it's like a lot of women are very conscious of like, does it smell a little bit? Right. Does yeah. it seem off? Like, or ugh, the worst is when it's like, your period's done, but there's still like a little bit yeah. still kind of happening. Right. So in terms of like someone going down on you and you're like, fuck, yeah. <laughs> I guess well, we can't. And I know? even feel like with that, a lot of guys maybe don't care so much. I know. So I, 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 it seems yeah. kind of out the, I don't know. I mean, it seems like there's some guys that are like, oh, you're on your period. Absolutely not. Whereas other guys are like, oh, yeah. I really don't care. Nobody likes shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you win that one. Yeah. Like, All right, you like, win. No, but nobody's like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you know, shit happens. Like, it does happen, and it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And mm. anytime that has happened, when I've been topping someone, like, I don't make them feel bad about it. It's not their fault. I don't treat it like it's the end of the right. world. Like, you, you clean up, and you change, change up what you're doing or whatever, and you go on. Uh, I think a lot of straight people actually don't think this part through that I've heard many horror stories of like we tried anal and then um, yeah there was shit yeah all around <laughs> stuff like, happened yeah well probably <laughs> especially first time um, <laughs> uh, so I but I but I have talked to people who you know when I have been in that situation and talked to them about it and like these are the risks and this is what it means and this is what it doesn't mean um, or I will just not engage in that behavior and then I don't really talk to them about the HPV because it's like if we're not engaging in a behavior where it could be transmitted to you yeah I don't feel the need to tell everyone well, about I, it mm -hmm. well I was gonna ask is it because like herpes is a thing it's like it manifests in one area so there's a lot of people that have like anal herpes per se but they don't have it like on whatever the yeah. front is your mm -hmm. dick your vagina a hpv uh, is the same way okay that's what i was gonna ask so you have it like i guess anally so yes. that means but you can't get it just through regular sex i'm not regular sex jesus christ <laughs> and then you fucked women right, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like that's not even sorry right that's incorrect to say like i would uh, <laughs> uh so we could just say topic i guess yeah that yeah makes more sense well no I, I get what you're saying and i think that i would have to i mean that's a really good question i think that i would have to be like rubbing my ass with an outbreak mm. And then go to jerk off with it. And even then, yeah, it's, it's a lot. it would have to be like skin to my hand, my hand to this other part. And it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, very yeah. rare. Yeah. It's like people that get STDs, but they didn't have sex. What? I mean, that's what everybody just said. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's been like a few stories of that. Or like a woman will get like chlamydia or something. It's very rare though. I've never heard these impossible. stories. I have oh, not really? either. Yeah. I mean, that's how I'm good Mom, at Mom, that's how this I got terrible. it. I don't know what I just said. Immaculate clap. <laughs> that's it. what I'm going with. Um, uh, so aside from telling sexual partners, obviously you are, uh, like, you talk about this. What was it like having to disclose to family and friends and people close with you that you not only had HPV, but like you had to go through this surgery and. Oh, I've never know. told my family. Uh, oh, really? Really? Yeah, I've never told my. I've, 
I don't know. They have no reason to know. I mean, I guess if they listen to this, like whatever. But mm-hmm. there was never any reason for me to tell them. Really? I mean, I'm not planning on having sex with any of them. I don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to tell them. Okay. Well, can I say this? I actually have a friend recently that I saw. We hung out and um, she's a lesbian and her girlfriend gave her warts as well. And she was like, yeah, so all of a sudden I had these bumps and she knew about me with herpes and this podcast. Mm-hmm. She's like, I almost reached out to you because I was like, oh my God, I think I got herpes and I was freaking out. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I went, turns out it was worse than HPV. But first they didn't know. Like first they were like, it's HPV. And even the scariest part of HPV is like for women, it's like, no, it could be actually be detrimental to your health and yeah. your this reproductive system. At if least you want to cervical kids. cancer. Right. Yep. Exactly. Potentially. Exactly. Yeah. So, but then she told her partner, she was like, hey, yeah, I got HPV. I've only been with you. Like, mm-hmm. and, she, and she was just, and her partner just was like, yeah, everybody has it. So her uh, partner knew, oh. didn't tell her. And then she was telling me and I was like, yeah, that's, I was like, not to say that it's worse than herpes, but I just was like, yeah, that should be communicated. Right. I was like, there's types of HPV that don't have any signs and, you know, anybody goes and gets a pap smear and they're like, oh, it's kind of abnormal. We got to do some more tests and stuff like that. But I'm like, damn, to know you have it and be like, yeah, because everybody has it. Yeah. And to respond that yeah. way. Yeah. Because like, I mean you've said that you don't always you know i haven't always told people yeah but if someone came to you and was like hey i think this happened i don't think that would be your response no i feel like a complete bag of (laughs) shit welcome to the club (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah, like yeah no everybody's got herpes have you seen stats (laughs) and they're like so you knew and it's like yeah i would more be like yeah i'm sorry i didn't tell you or if this is for me or yeah yeah well but yeah just to be like no everybody's got hpv That is a, that's a broad, that's a, that's a statement to just be like, I'm not going to tell you because everybody has it. I'll I'll throw this out because I'm curious to know what the two of you think. Uh, One of my, one of my good friends has HIV Mm -hmm. and he has struggled a long time with dating Mm -hmm. because he doesn't know when to tell people. And this This is one of those things where it is like HIV, I think we could objectively say has more stigma than uh, herpes or Mm -hmm. HPV. Uh, Or it was something when I got herpes, a couple people were being like, well, listen, it's not detrimental Mm -hmm. to your health. You could have HIV. Like that could have happened to you as well. Mm -hmm. And they're like, that's an even kind of bigger problem in a way. Yeah. I, I once actually had a roommate who tried to tell me that him being overweight was more stigmatized than having HIV. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I was like, oh my God. Um, are, are, are you what? serious? And he like wanted to fight about it. I was like, I'm not even going to discuss this with you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Go to the gym. I was like, also, I mean, was he a straight man? Yeah, he was, was straight. A straight white man? Yeah, he was a straight white man. <laughs> oh my God. And he was like, why Which, do you... Bullshit. Yeah. I think gay men get more heat and stuff for their bodies and superficialness yeah. from other oh. people than a straight white man. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. There's many women like a dad bod. And he was like, <laughs> well, why don't? Why do you think these women like don't want to keep going on dates with me? And I was like, maybe because they went on a couple and they got to know your personality <laughs> and it has nothing to do with your weight. Yeah, holy shit. Uh, and so, yeah, so he goes on these dates and his question is like, if he tells people before the first date then like they won't want to go on a date with him but Mm. also then they know this super revealing thing about him that maybe he doesn't want everyone to know but then also so what he would do is not tell people until the third date but before they had sex and then on the third date he found that people were like well why didn't you tell me that before you've been lying to me that's such crap and it is 
so and I don't know if there is a right or wrong answer to that. Like I wish that there wasn't yeah. so much stigma around HIV because I mean I, I don't know how familiar you are with some of the research behind it. A lot of my research for getting my PhD has been around HIV. But like if you stick to your medications now, yeah. the HIV can be so low in your body that mm-hmm. you can't even transmit it to other people. Right. That you could literally come inside them eighty times yeah. and their chances of getting HIV from that would be next to zero right and there's also prep which is for the people that don't have hiv right that also prevent them from getting it yes mm-hmm. yeah we have i run like a support group it's like monthly in new york for people with mm-hmm. herpes and we had a gay man come in who had herpes and he it's funny he actually was like i'm getting more stigma for herpes because there isn't this prep pill Oh, that he was uh, like, oh, a lot of people are now more accepting of the HIV because they're like, oh, I take this pill, they take their pill, I can't get it. Whereas like with herpes, it's like just the one side taking the pill. Right. And yeah. I just think maybe there's something psychologically, it's like wearing the condom where it's like, oh, I have mm-hmm. this, so I'm good and I won't yeah. get it. And it's kind of that self-security. But him saying that, I was like, I thought it would be the opposite, like you said. Yeah. Where I was like, I thought in the gay community they'd be more acceptive of herpes because they'd just go, oh yeah, it's not HIV. That's <laughs> like, that's right. the scary one that we're all, we've all been worried about because- I mean, when there was the AIDS epidemic in the 80s, there wasn't the stigma around herpes because people were mm-hmm. like, yeah, you don't have AIDS. You're fine. Like, yeah. And then all of a sudden when Valtrex was invented, they almost made the stigma to make people buy and take more pills because mm. then just make you terrified yeah. of passing it or having outbreaks. And What are you talking about? Like if you have if you have herpes, you get to go whitewater rafting. <laughs> you get to go camping. <laughs> you get to go mountain climbing. <laughs> oh, for sure. But, uh, <laughs> I love those commercials. I know. They're always like, I have herpes and I still have a life. Yeah. <laughs> well, it literally, it doesn't affect anything in, in, until your sex life. Partly yeah. you being comfortable and not having a fear of giving it to someone or, you know, them knowing you have it and being fully comfortable. Like there's kind of this period of time of, we had uh, Jordan Fisher on and he was saying like, in terms of sexual chemistry, he's like, I feel like after two times, it's like, okay, that's how you fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, two, three times, he's like, uh, this is, if it hasn't changed at all, he's like, oh, this is just how you like to have sex, that's fine, but it's not a match for me, right? Mm-hmm. And I was kind of sitting there being like, I kind of have to be more patient now. I guess I don't have to, but it like is making me be a little more patient because it's like, yeah, you have to be sympathetic to if I'm the first partner they've had that had herpes, they don't, they kind of have that fear. And it's uh-huh. like, I would be kind of a dick to be like, oh, you don't accept it like right now. <laughs> right. Um, but with telling people personally, I've found telling them essentially like right before you have sex, like your friend sounds like it's like he tells them at dinner, not like right. we're in the bedroom portion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard because like even saying it like at the dinner, you're, it's almost the weird thing of like if you're on a date and you don't have condoms and you want to stop and get them, but you're being presumptuous. <laughs> of, like right. the date's going really well. <laughs> like, seems like that's where we're going. Um, but I've found of the telling people like in a bedroom, basically you're like right about to hook up is such like kind of a mind fuck of like totally. a dude with a boner and they get that news. Yeah. And whether it's, or you almost feel like, am I kind of tricking them yeah. of like, they're already in like turned on space that they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. It's fine. And then later it might be like, actually I'm not cool with it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Kind of a trick. So I, d- I do the dinner move. Yeah. I've found telling them it's <laughs> not the environment, I guess. I know I have a friend that does a phone call. Because it's very, mm. they don't have to worry about like their direct reaction. Oh my God. If I was dating someone and they called me, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> what? Well, or some people Put do it. Put it in a text. Some people, well, actually some people do it in writing uh, specifically for if that other person ever tried to sue them. They could be like, no, mm. no, no. I told you there's proof right here that I okay. let you know. But yeah. anyway. Um, I mean, I that's mean, not bad. Yeah. I've only had one of the like, you tell them right before you're about to hook up and they were like, oh, 
yeah, that's, that's not a big deal. And I was like, well, <laughs> we're still nice. on. They're like, yeah, I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, I mean, immediately when, I, I don't know if your friend finds this with HIV, but especially for people to say to him, like, well, why didn't you tell me sooner? I'm like, the number one reaction I had from people telling them I had herpes was just them being like, wow, I can't, like, they're partly like, I can't believe you told me, or that's so kind of you yeah. to tell people. Mm-hmm. That's been the response for me, too, yeah. with with HPV. Right. As it should. You're like, yeah, I'm a good fucking person. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could have just not said anything. We could have had a good time. And then I leave. <laughs> and I don't want to do that to someone because that is essentially what, what I think happened to me is like, yeah. you know, whoever had it, if it was or wasn't this person that I described in the beginning, because I don't know for sure. Right. Uh, like, I would like to think that that person is maybe not, you know, wouldn't want someone else to have that experience. Like, I wouldn't want someone else to have the, have the experience that I did. Mm. yeah i mean I, that's how i felt too but then uh, i mean i've been bad twice but <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> um i weirdly uh reached out to them though before the podcast came out and told them mm. oh and you did that was actually one of the person people that were like yeah well, like they actually both didn't really care and i was oh. like oh that's so weird that you were the two i didn't tell and the ones that were the coolest <laughs> about it even after the fact because i at least was like oh they're gonna be furious of like Hey, I know it's not a big deal and stuff, but that's fucked up. You didn't tell me before you hooked up. And I basically was ready to just like take that and be like, yeah, like you're a hundred percent right. Like mm-hmm. you have every right to hate me and I'm very sorry type of thing. But they both were just like, man, man. So stress was for <laughs> nothing. <laughs> it was like, oh, all that anxiety for nothing. <laughs> all right. Um, well, I think all of these are really similar in that people just don't really, like there's not a lot of education around these diseases mm-hmm. and how they affect people. So as someone who like doesn't have an incurable STI, like I think if someone was to say something to me, I would just want to know more about it and not have to make a decision mm-hmm. in the moment. Cause like, yeah, you know, obviously I know a lot more about herpes now, but like, <laughs> HPV and HIV. Pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty great. Uh, I, I, I just wouldn't know what to say to someone if they told me that they had it because I didn't know the risks that I would be putting myself in. Yeah, and I think that that can be really good information that you can provide to someone as well when you're telling them, like, you know, this is what it means, this is what it doesn't mean, mm-hmm. and, like, this is how we can keep you protected. Mm. So just kind of facing it uh, head on. Yeah. As opposed to just hoping they don't freak out. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's like uh, what Mara said about just the way you present something. Mm-hmm. You know, like she gave the steak analogy of like you wouldn't eat a steak off a garbage can top, but like you would eat it off a plate. So it's like the way right. that you present it to someone of like this isn't the end of the world that I have this thing. Oh, I really like that. I, I like that analogy a lot, actually. Oh, Mara. <laughs> <laughs> that's 100 true. It's all about the pitch. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Um, so this podcast was a little bit uh, self-help, as you know, and you reached out to us about a self-help book that you said changed your life. Yes. So uh, I have a couple questions of what book is it? And I guess what was the biggest thing it uh, learned you learned or it changed for you? So the the book a few years ago before I started going to graduate school or I think even really going back to undergrad, uh, I read this book called The Rhythm of Life by Matthew Kelly. And in preparation, so I read it that one time. And then Mm -hmm. in preparation for coming on here, I actually reread the book last (laughs) week. Oh, shit. Oh, I feel terrible. And and my 
I'm like, we could do a whole episode on it. You can come back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, he reread it. And I had well, it was didn't. really interesting for me to go because I read it when I didn't know anything about psychology except that I had been to a therapist. Mm-hmm. And then to go back and read it as someone that almost has their PhD. And my mm-hmm. view on it is so different oh really? no it's so different so i think in a good way or bad way uh it's just di- it's just different oh, okay and i've noticed that as i've gone to school and gotten more education that when i read a self-help book they're all regurgitating different types of therapy yes yeah. and the rhythm of life is very much acceptance and commitment therapy uh-huh. the entire basis of the book is how do we become the best version of ourself and what it essentially asks you to do is every time you, you make a choice, which we are constantly making choices, I am making a choice right now to sit on this couch the way I'm sitting on this couch. Mm-hmm. I am sitting, you know, I have this pillow on my side. Like, that's a choice. These are all choices. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book asks you to, every time that you make a choice, to ask yourself, is this choice going to make me the best version of myself or lead me towards being the best version of myself? So it gets you in this mindset of values-based living. which is exactly what act is about acceptance and commitment therapy is all figuring out what your values are and then every single choice that you make all day long making decisions about is this behavior towards or away from my values and that is what this entire book is about Mm. is constantly asking yourself does this action lead me towards being the best version of myself? And it basically says that like you can't be anyone else besides yourself. So th- there right. are a few big points that I took away from it. One, I actually have a tattoo of. Really? Um, on my left bicep, I have the structure of serotonin, the chemical in your brain that makes you happy. And I had the chemical symbols taken away to be E-T-E-O-E-W, meaning everything everyone does everywhere, they do with the intention of being happy. Serotonin Ooh. being the chemical Ooh. that makes you happy. And that yeah. comes from this book. Because one of the Uh, reminders in it is to remind yourself that when someone does something that hurts you or that upsets you or that you don't understand, we are all making the choices that we're making, thinking it's going to make us happy Hmm. in the long run, in the long term or short term. No one does anything thinking, if I do this, I'm going to be unhappy. Right. (laughs) Even with a breakup, you may think if I do this, I'm going to be unhappy, but I ultimately know that it's the right decision and I will be happier because of it. So you can accept that it might feel shitty for a few weeks or months or years, and then you need to go on, you know, Zoloft. Uh, (laughs) That's another story. Um, But, uh, but you are ultimately making a decision because you think it's going to make you happy. And you can tie this back through everyone through history. Mm. And I would even argue that like the most terrible people in the world that have done the <laughs> most terrible things would argue that they did it because they thought that it was going to make them happy. Yeah. yeah. Or they thought it was the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They thought it was the right thing. And mm-hmm. it's really about having compassion for other people and having compassion for yourself. And that's something that I have to remind myself of with my patients. Because sometimes my patients do stuff that I'm like, we just talked about this for two hours. And then you went out there and you did the same fucking thing you've always done. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, oh, they know that if they do this behavior, that's going to take their anxiety away. So in the short term, their anxiety goes away. In the long term, you've just learned that this cycle continues. And that's the only way you know how to get rid of your anxiety. But they are making the choice that they're making because they think it's going to make them happy. I was going to say that's often why very successful people, a lot of others, specifically women even more so than men, I'd say, they look at them as like selfish or like a bitch. And it's like, well, they're just putting their needs and their goals ahead Mm -hmm. of other life decisions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I don't know. I don't know if you feel that like tug and pull of like people being like, ugh, 
like almost like too focused on that and it's like you're not being compassionate enough by yeah like or like being there enough for people and sometimes you're like i have too much work to do like this work has to get done yeah, yeah. and unfortunately like that means i can't see you this week or yeah. whatever it is and i think in especially like women our age and also in more like creative fields i've kind of felt that sometimes with this podcast of like people wanting to hang out on the weekends and stuff it's like oh i gotta record and they're like what the fuck are you talking about because <laughs> they can't like yeah. relate at all i'm sure you feel that with comedy of like non-comedy oh, yeah. friends like, we, like, we it's a weekly podcast so it's like yeah. it ha- we mm-hmm. have to record typically at least once a week so there are nights yeah. that it's like okay no i can't really go out and do whatever or even with comedy that i can't do a show because mm-hmm. it's like no, we gotta record. Yeah, we got Thomas Whitfield in here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna Do you know miss who that. We're pulling? Yeah, <laughs> we got great guests. Um, so that, and then an- another thing in the book is it asks you like, what are you free of? And the author uses this. Um, he uses this idea that he was eating a lot of chocolate at one point, and someone was like, "But are you free of it?" And he Ooh. found that like. He was like, I think so. It's just chocolate. But then he found that when he tried to not have it, it was really difficult for him to say no to it. So when I was reading this book, I was going through this time in my life where I was like, something has got to change. I was in my mid-20s. I think I was 26. And I had gotten a new job bartending. And I was bartending with someone who just turned 40. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to go back out and do modeling and acting. And I'm going to Canada for a little bit. And I was like, if I am 40 and still bartending, am I going to be happy? Yeah. Is is that the best version of myself? And you know what? For some people, that's they would be happy with that. And that's totally fine. And myself, I was like, no, if I'm still doing this when I'm 40, I'm not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started asking myself that with every decision I made, every time I would have a, a glass of soda or a shot behind the bar or get ice cream or yeah. eat chicken, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just started gotten the, the habit of that. And then I got to that book where it was like, are you free of it? And I was like, hmm, what are the big things in my life? Okay, so I drink a good amount. I was smoking pot a good amount, sometimes cigarettes. I was having sex a lot. I was like, okay, am I free of these things? Yeah. So I decided to take six months where I did not drink, I did not have sex, and I did not like smoke marijuana, smoke cigarettes, nothing. And I found that it was really difficult and that when I would start to feel upset about something or scared about something or anxious, my first thoughts were to have sex with someone, have something to drink, yeah, have a cigarette, do like engage in one of these behaviors that I knew the behavior was not leading me towards being the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, f- fuck me like i am doing a lot of little things throughout the day not realizing that they are leading me away from my values or what i want to be doing right so that then led me back into school Mm -hmm. and then fell in love with psychology and then um into where i'm at now where i finished my my ba and then i just you know now i have two masters i have one in um, psychology and one in philosophy finishing my PhD in psychology in a couple months here and you know I'm in a very different place so I went back and read this book and I was like oh my god this book is shit (laughs) 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 and it's not it's a it's a great book Uh, but also you conquered it well having you're like I did the work it wasn't this book I went there and I like use the book Book, Burke, the book, which is the same thing that you do with cognitive behavioral therapy. I can give you these tools. You have to use Mm -hmm. them on your own. Uh, However, 
having the knowledge that I have now of the of the different types of therapy. I'm like, oh, he's talking about acceptance and commitment therapy this entire time. He's just spun it in a different way yeah. so that it sounds like this new thing that no one has ever heard of. But like you're ripping off acceptance and commitment therapy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, most self book, but self help books in general are just like. Yeah, that thing uh, you're afraid to do, you gotta go do it. Yeah, <laughs> which is exposure like, therapy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just so funny that the whole book just keeps being like, "Come on, get out there, just do it, go do it." <laughs> like, like the book Lean In, I stopped reading after three chapters because it's like, "Hey, you want that promotion? You gotta ask for that promotion." Hey, you want that promotion? You gotta ask for that promotion. <laughs> hey, and I was like, "I'm gonna stop reading this book. This is just taking me away from asking for my promotion." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how many chapters do I need to tell me the same thing? <laughs> yeah, and that's what I found this book to be a lot too is it keeps coming back to these like few core basic things it's still a great book and i would recommend it to anyone who's considering oh, yeah. making changes uh and well, it's, i love it's, the like actually sit down and be like what do you want mm-hmm. yeah a lot of times when be even like in a relationship of like uh, if you complain about something but you have like no offer for a solution or no what do you want it to be instead mm-hmm. it just feels like all right you're just pointing out flaws for no reason you're yeah. just bitching <laughs> yeah like, you're just bitching yeah. you just want a bitch <laughs> it also challenges you to look at your weaknesses yeah. And uh, accept that, like, <laughs> is it possible that what you view as your greatest weakness is actually your biggest strength? So I Ooh. found that, yeah, that one of my biggest weaknesses is that I was trying to date people that I could fix or that I could change. Mm-hmm. And that comes from me having to sort of care for my mom a lot when, when I was growing up, which mm-hmm. is a, a another long story. Uh, but I grew up very much being like how I know that I am am of value is if I'm taking care of someone and if I take good care of someone they will not leave me they will stay with me so then I would try to get into relationships with people where I could fix them or take care of them which is not what people want in a relationship and they would leave me anyway some people do (laughs) (laughs) and uh and they would leave me anyway and I was like okay this is this feeling that I have of wanting to help people and fix people is never going to go away but it is destroying my personal life and I am not happy so how can I honor this? And I was like, oh, go to school for psychology. Those are people that want mm-hmm. help where yeah. it, it is my job to help them. I can still do all of these things that I want to do mm-hmm. and, and fulfill that. So I turned that weakness into what I what I think is probably my biggest strength now. But this book also helped me to recognize that like, that's your biggest weakness and it's not going to go away. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to yeah. push it away and ignore it and, and have it keep coming back and biting us in the ass? Or are we going to use it to, you know, to help us, us, the us, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's why having goals is so important. It's even yeah. just like everybody, you know, always every new year we hear a lot of people being like, okay, I'm going to really like get in shape this year and like turn my health around. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times it's like, there's no direct goal. There's no like thing. Yeah. Or it's like when suddenly oh my gosh, my daughter's getting married and you have a date on the calendar Mm -hmm. that's like, okay, I'm going to eat right, exercise, like at least until this date. I'm going to fully commit every... But then they're suddenly doing that thing of every choice you looked at was like, okay, like every time you ate, it would be like, do I want to have this or do I want to have that? And Mm -hmm. in the back of their mind, they're like, okay, well, we have this thing coming and this goal coming and it would make you choose better choices. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I was just going to say as far as... um, like wanting to fix people in your relationships have you found that since you made this like professional decision to become a therapist and really like address this issue in yourself has that changed your relationships 
Yes. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, so I've been with the same person almost the entire time that I was in graduate school, but even when I started to, to switch it then, yeah, you know, I forced myself to go on a lot of dates with people that I did not think I was initially attracted to. Cause the truth is, is that, you know, we, we have a sixth sense that where we pick out the people that we want to date. I always tell people, my clients too, if the same situation keeps happening over and over in your life, or you think you keep like dating the same person, you are the common denominator in all of these relationships. It's not everyone else. You are seeking these people out. You are bringing them into your life. You are choosing to go on dates with them. Like this is not just happening to you. You are the common denominator. Mm -hmm. It is not everybody else. That's why I went to therapy. I had two back to back of like people with girlfriends and I didn't know. Dude, yeah. I had like five. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, okay, what am I ignoring? What am I choosing to not yeah. see? What am I, you know? And uh, and I don't think that everything is people's fault. But if you fall into a pattern, like you are setting up the pattern. Like right. it, you yeah. have to be an active person in your life and take responsibility for the choices you are making. You are creating your own patterns. Uh, but yes, I forced myself to go on dates to break that pattern with people that I was not initially attracted to okay. because I knew that part of me was attracted to this thing in them that like, oh, this is broken. Now I want them and I want to fix it. So mm-hmm. I started going on dates with people. And when I noticed something was broken or that I, th- or that it came up to mind, like there is something I could fix here. I would force myself to not try and fix it yeah. or maybe not go on dates with that person. Cause I was like, nope. I'm too attracted to this. I want it too bad. I'm not doing this again. Well, I mean, we date straight men. And that's actually something that's touched on in all the books we read that are like women dating men is Mm -hmm. basically saying you cannot change that person and you cannot fix them. Like they have to do it on their own or you trying to do it actually ruins the relationship between the two of you. Yeah. Of like giving Mm -hmm. that space, even if it is something along the lines of like something very simple of like work help. You're like, oh, I met this person. And maybe like a Mm -hmm. lot of times it's like, nope, not that's them. That's their own drive. That's their own goals. And I, but I didn't know if you kind of felt the same way with like gay men. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, that doesn't mean that you can only date people that are perfect or that don't have baggage or that are not broken, but you cannot try to fix them. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, you like you can't take that on. So if you are someone that likes to fix people and help them, do not date people that are broken. <laughs> <laughs> I guess obviously broken, <laughs> right. a little broken, right, right, right. <laughs> like like you know, or people that are uh-huh. going through shit and that maybe, especially someone who's broken and has no desire to change it oh, or God, to yeah. do anything about it. Like you have to accept people for where they are and not try to accept them for what you think they can be. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and I feel like women especially are, just want to be fixers and want to just make everything perfect. And it's, it can make be, it work, yeah. yeah, and it can be so toxic. Yeah, I think among women, I think among gay men, I, there's a lot of pressure to be in a relationship or be a specific thing within a relationship. Mm-hmm. And our society definitely tells you that like part of your value as a person is who you are with and what you are achieving together. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's bullshit. I think yeah, a lot of that's yeah. bullshit. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we don't live in a society anymore where women can't work. Yeah. Or really. where men have to it's be the rare. only the only people that bring bread to the table. Yeah. Like, that is not how our society is set up anymore. Right. Um, well, we have one final question for you. Okay. A- after this conversation, yeah. we want your professional opinion. Okay. Do you think that Erica and I should be in therapy? Do I think you should be in therapy? Um <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I don't know if I would say based on this conversation I think you do or you <laughs> don't. 
I said, do or don't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I see what you wanted to hear. <laughs> uh, I think it's a fun question. <laughs> I mean, if you were to go to therapy, what would you want to work on? Mm. That's, that's a great question. I don't know where to start. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I what do you want? What about your life? Do you want to be different? Uh, I mean, like my part of this podcast is I have like a lot of family challenges and trying to navigate those and in my relationship specifically and, and uh, I guess just like coping with where my family is and where it was. So accepting that like things are maybe not where they used to be. Yeah. How much, uh, how much does it interfere with your life? A lot. It's pretty much like the thing that's constantly on my mind. If you could, so because we can't change what's going on with your family, we can't change other people. If you were able to, uh, cope with it differently, how would your life be different? I mean, I hope I would be happier. How do you know you're not happy? Uh, it's something that I'm just like always stressed about. And I mean, I would just get thinking about it at night and just all of a sudden it would be like two hours have passed. I'm just not sleeping. And Okay. So you're, so you're not getting as good of sleep. Sounds like you are probably not spending your time in the ways that you would like to spend your time. You're ruminating about things that maybe you can't control or can't do anything about. And that you thinking about it is not changing the situation. Yeah. So there are four ways to solve any problem. Okay. The first, the first way is you change the situation. Okay. Okay. So it's more like problem solving. What can I do differently? Like if I'm late for work all the time, but you know, if I'm late for work all the time, okay, do I need to leave earlier? That's a way to solve the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you could, you can tolerate the situation. So learn how to tolerate it differently. So kind of cope with it differently, understanding that it's not going to change, Mm -hmm. um, accepting it's not going to change and then tolerate how you deal with that. You can change how you feel about it or you can stay miserable. Yeah, I think, I mean, for the past, like, probably, like, close to four years now, I've been on the last one. (laughs) On the staying miserable. So, I mean, right there, there are three, you know, three other options. So maybe you check that one off. And you know what these, when when patients come into therapy and they, I ask them what they want to work on. I'm like, okay, these are four options. And they will be like, well, I want the other person to act different. And I'm like, well, that's not an option. Yeah. That, that's not on our, that's not on our menu because we can't change what other people have done or are going to do yeah and that comes up a lot with trust and people that have been cheated on is they're like well i want to know that they're never going to cheat again well guess what we can't do that mm-hmm. yeah oof, that's a big you one. know like you yeah. have to accept that they did it and that there's a possibility that they may do it again mm-hmm. and if you mm-hmm. can accept that then what do you want to do do you want to stay miserable do you want to stay mad at them do you want to stay angry do you want to leave the relationship uh so you know, with what you're talking about, it sounds like you maybe want to learn how to tolerate it differently, how to tolerate it better yeah. so that it doesn't affect your life in the in the ways that it currently is. So I think yeah. that like CBT could be helpful for you to learn how to manage some of those unhelpful cog- cognitions or thoughts that are um, distracting you from being able to engage in life the way that you want to. Okay. I was gonna Next. Say, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, damn. Um, well, I was going to say, I think what's hard is when stuff is like family, there's as much as like, yeah, we can't control other people. What's hard of like kind of accepting it is the like, there's always part of you that like wants maybe like that person back in your life. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's like when it's family, it's ve- I feel like much harder as opposed to like a relationship where you're like, okay, they cheat on me. I can choose to leave or I cannot. But like something about family though is just very like, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard to basically, if it's cutting someone out of your life, that is a relative of yours. Yeah. That's tough. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's supposed to be the one thing that's always solid and always there. And it's like, okay, if this person was able to leave me in what seems so easily, it's like, why would anyone want to leave me? So it's like this also like really like deep seated fear of abandonment of like, why even try in larger mm-hmm. relationships of like yeah. that people can leave. And, and even then I, you know, one thing that people like to conflate are their thoughts and their feelings. Okay. And like, uh, someone is going to leave me or I can be believed or I'm not worth staying with. Those are thoughts. Those are not feelings. Okay. So you could feel sad or you could feel lonely and mm-hmm. those feelings could be a byproduct of those thoughts that you're giving yourself. So mm-hmm. then I would also challenge those thoughts with a client. How is it that you know that you are easy to leave? How is it that you know that you are unlovable? How is it that you know that people are always going to leave you? And you, and you go about that with what's called Socratic questioning. Okay. Because a lot of those are unhelpful or irrational beliefs that you have about yourself or schemas that you have about the world and how the world functions, which are often, I mean, whether it's true or not unhelpful. Yeah. So a lot of stuff isn't about if it's true or not. It's like, is it helpful? So let's say that you are someone who is overweight. If you are continually having the thought of I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat. Like, okay, maybe you are, but you continually having that thought is not helpful. Right. Right. Okay. Oh, damn. Does that make sense? Kind of. I feel yeah. like I just no, threw it totally a lot does. Out there. I'm just yeah. like I'm just sitting in it. I was like, wow. I just went to <laughs> and that whole combo, I was just like, oh man, <laughs> this is already better than the therapy sessions I did. Because <laughs> of that doorknob comment you made of like uh-huh. people like drop something as they leave, or um, for me it was more like I would go like every Wednesday and I, it would always be like shit would happen like almost like it'd be like the day or two after my appointment, oh, my mm-hmm. and it would basically be like you have to deal with this before the appointment. So then I'd be there the next week, like, okay, this happened, so obviously I had to handle it then, and <laughs> I did, and then that's that. And they'd just be like, I think you handled that pretty well. I'm like, what the fuck do I need you for? Then? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, yeah, and that's one of the good things about CBT. <laughs> right. And that's one of the good things about CBT is you're given these tools so that if something happens the day after the appointment, you already have these tools that apply to various different situations. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not like someone someone doesn't give you a hammer once and then you hit one nail and you need a new hammer. Yeah. Like, you know, you see a nail and you use a hammer. Or yeah. maybe you, it's a screw and you need a screwdriver. So then you learn how to use a screwdriver. You don't use the screwdriver once and throw it away. Yeah. Oh, you you learn how to apply them yeah. to different situations. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is what we need, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I just always felt like, man, the time that I would need someone to talk through the options of what to do would be right now. And my appointment is in five more days. So. Yeah. Which is when you, you will learn how, like, I, I go over with my clients again and again. These are the four options. What are we doing? And you can apply that to your life. When something mm-hmm. comes up, okay, these are the four things I can do about it. And sometimes you're going to want to stay miserable. And you know what? That is your choice, too. Is staying miserable going to make you the best version of yourself? Probably not. But that's also a choice you can make. And at least acknowledging that you are making a choice. Like that's the first step is acknowledging like my life is exactly the way it is for good, for bad, for whatever else because of choices that I have made. And it is going to continue to be that way as long as I make the same choices. Boom. Damn. 
Yeah, so vote too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be that person that doesn't vote. Take your choices to the ballot yeah. box. That's a very simple way. <laughs> you try and make some changes, even if it isn't your own life. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's it for this session. Is there anything yeah. you have coming up or coming out that you want to? Yeah, plug? so I just want to tell you guys a little bit about my podcast that I just had. Uh, it oh, just yes. started. So our second episode just came out. Our, so we come out on Monday mornings. It's called the Lunchbox Lessons. Lunchbox being two words. Uh, I co-host with Justin Perez, oh, yes. who you know, Justin. Do you know Justin? I don't. You don't. So uh, Justin, <laughs> Justin, you will. Used to do. <laughs> <laughs> He's hard uh, to ignore. <laughs> <laughs> I love Justin. Um, I actually didn't know Justin very well before going on this podcast journey really? with him, yeah. and it's been really fun. That's awesome. Um, so I am someone who is obsessed with a lot of different things, and I love to push my obsessions on other people. So, oh, okay. like for example, uh, Corinne, who was who was just on the podcast, being my best friend. I've made her go to various concerts with me for bands that she does not know or like. Oh damn! Okay. Uh, also, like, a whole Kesha cruise, right? Yeah, we did go on a Kesha cruise, oh, but yeah. that was that was a that was a lot of her her wanting to go <laughs> to. I, I did not force her it. to go. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I think she was into it more than I was uh, for the Kesha aspect. Um, but like, she's gone to see the XX with me. I think three times now, and they're one of my favorite groups. So like, she likes it enough to go. But I like I love to make people listen to my music or watch my movies or read my books because I'm like, you're gonna love it. And then we're going to connect on this thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that everything I like is the coolest thing. So I wanted to start a podcast that, you know, everything in my life ends up having to do with psychology because psychology is such a big part of my life. So I wanted to start a podcast that was going to have nothing to do with psychology. But psychology comes up because it's just so ingrained in me. And you got Justin. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It will. Um, And... So we are watching uh, Roseanne, the TV show. Oh, damn. Okay. That uh, that started in 88. We are watching it episode by episode, beginning with the first episode. Um, and we talk about each episode. Okay. Um, but it is more of a deep dive into ourselves and our, like, using the series as sort of a bus to pull okay. topics from. So the the first half of the podcast is really us talking about like what have we been obsessed with that week? What do we love about it? Why do we think we love it? And then we deep dive into each episode. But really it just ends up becoming a conversation about him and I with things that were, you know, brought up in the episode. Um but I, you know, the goal of it is that I want to understand why I am obsessed with the things that I am. This and this one being the TV show Roseanne, which is my favorite, <laughs> oh, okay. and he's never seen it. So he is I was like, I don't really think I've seen it either. Yeah, I don't I think you I say have. that. So he's watching it for the first time, mm. and I'm re-watching it and know everything about it. Right. Uh, so I sent him a text one day, and I was like, hey, would you want to do this with me? And he's like, yeah, it sounds good. And I was like, heads up, there's 222 episodes. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he was like, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, like, asked Corinne about it. I was like, do you think this would be good? Like, I don't know, Justin, as well as you do. And she's like, yeah, you need something to do. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the time. <laughs> um, but I love it, and it's actually turned into this really fun self-explorative thing so we are out everywhere now um so i would love it if you would check us out subscribe you can also follow us on instagram at lunchbox lessons pod um you can also if you are a roseanne fan or like some of the things that we talk about bring up other things for you which we do actually end up talking about like some pretty deep stuff yeah school shootings um what was it you know, child molestation although um, i have not seen the show 
I several people have told stories of like it was the first TV show to put this on the air or a conversation about yeah. this. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe also there was something with like sexuality and being gay. Yeah, the first gay kiss ever on primetime TV. Yeah. Um so. openly gay characters. Uh there is um relationship abuse, there's um physical abuse there. Which is partly crazy because it's yeah. like literally didn't Ellen show get canceled because of an open gay character that they wanted to make it openly yeah. gay and they were like yeah. they pulled the plug on the mm-hmm. show. Yeah. yeah, her sitcom she had before the talk yeah. show. Yeah, but like so that's like it. I mean, talk about monumental. Like now we feel like what? That's crazy. There's so yeah. many. But even like mm-hmm. Modern Family was one of the first families to be like these are two gay dads and, and they have a kid, a baby, and yeah, yeah. all mm-hmm. that type of stuff. So we uh, we really do a deep dive into ourselves and the episode. So it's really fun. So if you have not seen Roseanne, you do not have to have seen Roseanne to listen to the podcast or to like the podcast um, because it, it diverges from that so much. Um, so yeah, it's called the Lunchbox Lessons. We're everywhere. Rate us, leave us a review. I know you like it's so helpful. The reviews yeah, really are such is. a big deal, even if it's just like an emoji. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it could be a middle finger emoji, but give it five stars, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and like the same thing with Justin and I. Like, tag us, put it on your Instagram, all that stuff. Because yeah. we. And don't yeah. get involved with Thomas's Instagram because he does so many mm-hmm. great things. Which, plug your handle again. It's uh, at Thomas Whitfield 8 for um and then shit they won't tell you in sex ed which on is also youtube yeah. which you can find at sex ed by um yeah but if you follow me on instagram you're gonna get tons of links like that and stuff in my stories and i do a lot of really fun q a's um in in my story stuff and people share a lot of things so i really enjoy it so yeah follow along find me there yeah even uh, therapy with Corinne's dog. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So with uh, Alfred. The I've ever seen. Oh my god, it was, I haven't done it in a while. He he needs a new session. He's been acting up. <laughs> <laughs> he literally talks to Alfred. I'm just like looks at him. Yeah, I like do a uh, motivational interviewing with Alfred about his behavioral changes. That's incredible. <laughs> pretty great. Oh my god. Anyway, but d- seriously, Thomas is one of my favorite followers. I find all his stuff very very oh. interesting and always has like a little touch of humor, as you've heard him on this podcast. That's very um, sweet thank yeah, you no i love it and um obviously if you're rating thomas's pod leave us a rating and review and uh, where can you find us i'm at the guacamole i'm at sparica <laughs> and she was gonna shoot pod at gmail.com no one's ever laughed that hard guacamole yeah. I, have, I, I don't know how i've missed that in the episodes <laughs> that i've listened to but that's awesome yeah and uh <laughs> tell a friend damn we're doing some great convos on this pod tell us about it get involved okay thank you all so much we'll see you next week Bye. bye